Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of John, and we're in chapter one, uh, we have been going through the Exodus story over the last couple of months or so, but we're taking a bit of a break for that uh, in the build-up to uh, Christmas, uh, which because it's December now, isn't it? That's great. Has anyone brought their Christmas tree yet? Oh, there's a few hands, a few very excited faces there. Excellent. We haven't, we haven't done ours yet. So, No, I can hear my daughter complaining already. But yeah, we will be getting ours soon. So if you want to find John chapter 1, uh, what we're going to do is we've got three messages over the coming weeks where we're going to look at um, some, I guess what would be foundational statements in this chapter about the incarnation, about God coming down to us uh, through his son Jesus Christ and all of what that means for us. Um, Today we're particularly going to look at uh, verses uh, 1 and verse 14, but what we're going to do is going to read all of those verses uh, together and hopefully they will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. Slow, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for these wonderful, uh, yet mysterious words, that some of the most important words ever written in the whole of history, and they tell us something wonderful about you and who you are, and how, Jesus, you were sent to come and dwell, to pitch your tent, to move into the the neighborhood of our lives. And this morning as we look at that wonderful truth, what it means that you've come down to us, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray you'd speak richly and deeply right into the very depths of our souls. Our prayer this morning is, Jesus, we want to know you. Not as just we know uh, a figure in history or something written in a textbook, but as we could know a friend 
of Father, God, we want to know you. That's our prayer. So we pray, Holy Spirit, please be at work amongst us. Draw us to you this morning, we pray. Amen. This, uh, this reading actually would normally be, people would read through to verse 18 from John 1, verses 1 to 18. Uh, if you're in the Church of England, uh, they would read this reading every year on Christmas Day. Every year they would gather together on Christmas Day, they would read this reading, John 1, verses 1 to 18, which might seem a bit unusual because it's not perhaps what you might immediately think of when you think of the Christmas story. You think, well, where are the shepherds and the wise men? Uh, where's the, the manger? Where's this little kind of infant baby? Where's Mary and Joseph and the gifts? All of this sort of thing. Where's, where, where's all of that? And all those things are, are incredibly important to the story, but in one sense, they're kind of extras to the, to the story. Because the central character, obviously, is what describes here as the word, Jesus. And the central moment of this story is Jesus entering into humanity, stepping down into, into our world, taking on human flesh, becoming like us. And yet the Christmas story, it's not just the story of one character and one time in one place. Most stories, most movies, that's what they're about. A person or a people or a couple taking place in a certain period of time, in a certain moment, in a certain place of the world. It was actually the, the Christmas story is about, in a sense, life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> everything that you want to know that's really important is all wrapped up in this story. The Christmas story isn't just about one figure in one moment. It's kind of about everything, and yet, in all of that, it does point back to one moment. <laughs> Points back to this moment where God stepped down into humanity. The theologian T.F. Torrance said, everything in Christianity centers on the incarnation of the Son of God, an invasion of God among men and women in time. And what John does here in this book, in this story, is right in the, the very first verse here, he kind of takes us back in time, because he says, in the beginning. And what he's doing is he's, he's kind of going all the way back to, well, the start of the Bible. You know, perhaps the verse that maybe you're most familiar with in, in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, in his introduction here, is kind of going back to the beginning. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever seen the Godfather movies. If you ever watch the Godfather, it's one of the few uh, sequels that perhaps is better or at least equal with the original. But if you watch the second Godfather, it's basically kind of a weird prequel to the first, but yet it still goes on in the story. Does, does anyone, okay, you're all obviously more anointed than me and you didn't watch that, that movie, but it's a good movie. But it kind of it goes back to the beginning, as well as telling us what then occurs in the future. And that's a bit what's happening here. John kind of rolls us all the way right back to the very beginning. And to understand what 
Christmas is really about, we have to kind of start there as well. We have to go back to the beginning, and not just the beginning of the Bible, but if we go back to this very first verse in the Bible, this actually takes us back to the dawn of time itself, when the world began, the beginning of everything. That's where the Bible starts, and that's where John picks up the beginning of the Christmas story. He takes us right back to the very beginning of the world itself. And what John wants us to do here is he's, he wants you and me, the readers of this letter, he wants us to go back and stand at the dawn of time for us to kind of almost be there and consider what on earth is happening here. That there at the very beginning was God and the very beginning was Jesus. Not only was he with God, but he was God. At the very beginning of all of time and history, we find Jesus. Jesus, he's right there, right at the beginning. And you might have a question about that because you might think, hold on a second, hold on a second. I'm not even sure that there was a beginning. Now, I'm not even sure there was a, a creator. What's all that about? Maybe you're here and you don't believe in Jesus. You're not sure about Christianity. You know, straight away, maybe we've hit a bit of a stumbling block here because you think, hold on a second. Are you telling me that there was this guy with a big white beard kind of conducting affairs at the beginning of time? Well, I don't really have time to unpack all of that because we could be here for hours and hours discussing it. But I think one thing that's probably worth saying is that Science and Christianity, they don't have to be in opposition. When you become a, a believer in Jesus, it's not that then you just have to lay down all of reason and logic and understanding and say, well, science, science, we just have to pretend that doesn't exist now. That's not what it means to be a Christian, just to forget all of those things. They don't have to be arguing against each other and standing against each other. To be a Christian doesn't mean you have to be ignorant at all. And in the opposite, being a scientist doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian. If anything, I think if you really grab hold of both of those things, you, you'll find that the Christian faith is entirely reasonable. The Christian faith really helps us to understand what the world is really all about. Because often you can have this kind of idea that the reason that science and Christianity often clash is that people see it as kind of, we, we would preach almost a kind of God of the gaps message, as in, there are all these gaps in science that we don't understand, so therefore we put Jesus in those gaps. We put God in there to try and help everything to kind of all hold together. And then over the course of time, as science answers all those gaps and solves those problems and makes sense of those things, God is slowly pushed out of the equation. But the Bible doesn't treat God like that. Actually, when the Bible tells the creation story, it's not trying to give us a scientific account. It's saying that God is above and beyond all of those things. He stands far above and is far greater than any of those things. If you've got more questions about that, I'm happy to uh, buy you a coffee and we can talk about science and Christianity all that you want. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is... If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, but you do believe in science, those things don't have to clash. We're not going to say to you, oh, just forget all of that. You know, all, everything you've learned, all those studies, that's all erroneous and false now. Just believe in this fairy tale God in the sky instead. That's not what we're, we're saying at all.
Because what John does in this chapter is he paints this vivid, grand picture of what's happening in the world around us. But at the center of it, the very center, he puts Jesus. That's the big picture he's trying to paint for us. Above all of, over all of time and history stands Jesus. He's central to all of these things. He's this pre-existent, eternal one, one who was with God and was God and still is God. He's this creator, this supreme being. If anything, what John's trying to tell us in short, if, the, if you want to know about life and meaning, if you want to know who God is, then take a long and hard look at Jesus. That's what he's saying to us. If you want to discover what, what the meaning of your life is, you look long and hard at Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying, forget all those other things, all those other answers. It's this, it's this, it's this man who's come to us. See, the Bible doesn't claim that Jesus was just a prophet. You know, if you read about Jesus in, in Islam, then he's depicted as a prophet. It doesn't claim that Jesus was just a good man. Um, you know, if you wanted to argue the historical evidence of Jesus, it wouldn't be that difficult for us to prove that there was a man called Jesus who existed 2,000 years ago. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that. But actually, the Bible doesn't try and just say that he was a prophet or just a good man. It doesn't say that he was just some kind of ghostly spirit. The Bible says that he was, on one hand, fully man. He is humanity, flesh and blood, just like us but at the same time, fully God. This mixture of the divine and humanity all squashed, pressed into one. It says in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter two, that's uh, not Colossians, that's Chronicles. Where's Colossians? Here we go. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That might not make perfect sense to you, but it's saying that the fullness of deity, the fullness of God dwells bodily, as in dwells in human flesh. That's what Jesus was, this fully God, fully man sent for us. See, because the, the standout moment in this, in this passage, it's not actually where it says, in the beginning, or that all things were made through him, or even that he was the light of men, but the standout moment, the kind of climactic moment, is where it says, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And because to the, John's readers at the time, all these bold claims about God would have made perfect sense. Yeah, of course God was there in the beginning. Of course he's the light of the world. But then when John suddenly says, no, the word God became flesh, the readers would have, uh, who read it at the time would have gone, whoa, hold on a second, what have you just said to us? And as Christians, we can kind of miss that because we get so used to, to how we think about Jesus that we miss kind of how shocking, how remarkable this is, that God could 
become like us? Just try and get your head around that for a moment. Even, even if you find the, uh, you got a bit of a spoiler a moment ago when this first appeared, but even, this is Solomon talking in 2 Chronicles. He says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? He, like, he asks the question. <laughs> it, Solomon's kind of saying, this is impossible. How can the infinite, all-glorious, powerful God, you can't contain him. <laughs> he's talking here about the temple that he's just built for God. He's saying, can, can God really dwell in, in a temple? You know, this infinite, powerful being, can, can you just kind of squeeze him down? You can't contain God. You can't control God like that. But yet, somehow, he has chosen to come and dwell with us, chosen to take on human flesh, chosen to become just like us. It says in Isaiah, we find this mighty God becomes a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This highest, all-powerful being becomes a lowly creature, just like us. This source of all life, this creative being, becomes a dying man. He's just the same as us. He wears our fading humanity. There's nothing eternal about any of us. We're all slowly fading away. And Jesus took on that same fading human flesh. This ultimate truth, the word, this ultimate fact becomes just a kind of commonplace feature just like the rest of us. And why is this important? Because you might say, well, okay, this is nice theology, but what does, this, what does this actually matter for us? What difference does this make to our life, to our lives? Well, first of all, what we see here is that God, he steps down into, into reality because much of much of the, the various uh, belief systems that we see around us, actually what's true of many different religions, what's true of any kind of secular search for spirituality and meaning, is a lot of it is all based around an, an escape from reality. You take this kind of religious pill to help you just disappear from the world around you, to kind of try and pull you away from the material world to try and take you to this kind of transcendent other place, this better place. So much of religion and spirituality is all, all the time trying to say to you that, that this kind of body you're in is just this kind of evil prison. You just need to escape to this better, more perfect sense of being and reality. And you might think, well, I'm not really spiritual like that. But all of us, in different ways, we do exactly the same. We all have a bit of escapism. <laughs> go to the movies or a good book or a TV show, something that will help us just, you know, if you're going through a difficult season, you've got lots of pressures, lots of things pressing on you, decisions to make, bills to pay, things to do. You, I just want to escape from all of this. 
And those things can be a wonderful gift of God's grace to help come and bring peace to our hearts. If you begin to rely on those things to help you escape. So often people will live their lives just bouncing from one sense of escape to the next. One kind of hit of whatever it is. Could even be religion, could even be Christianity. Maybe you use Jesus to try and release yourself. I don't wanna deal with these issues, it's too much. Maybe that's what your prayer life is like. You just come to God and say, God, I can't handle this. I just, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to do this anymore, so you have to fix it for me because I don't want to. And you just kind of throw it all at him and just run away. So often that's how we live our lives. We're just trying to escape all the time. You know, even, even Christmas can become like this. It's just this wonderful annual interruption which kind of pulls us out of the humdrum regularity, the boring, depressing normality of life and gives us kind of something nice to decorate and to think about for a few weeks before life returns back to normal again. But sooner or later, every one of us, we have to come back. We have to face reality again. You have to come and look at face to face. You have to come kind of encounter it again. You can't just keep escaping all the time. And the critics of Christianity would say that what we believe is just another form of escapism. I had a conversation with a guy who came here a few months ago. We were talking at the end of the service, and he said something along the lines of, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It all sounds really good, but Christians just for, Christianity is just for weak people, isn't it? And I thought, hold on a second. <laughs> what are you saying? You're going to be weak? Christianity is just for needy people. He said, actually, if you, if, if it's, it's a good thing for all those people in the world that struggle, that have issues, problems. Christianity is just a nice crutch to kind of help them along. But I'm fine, so I don't need it. That was kind of the point he was trying to make to me. I didn't punch him. <laughs> I sent him to Len, and Len punched him. That's what we did. No, nobody punched him, okay? If you're not a Christian, don't worry. We won't physically attack you at the end of the service. But see, Jesus... Jesus doesn't offer us an escape from reality. Following Jesus isn't about escapism. What Jesus does is he steps right down into reality, <laughs> helps us to really embrace it, helps us to really make sense of the world, helps us means we really can bring our problems to him and say, God, have your way, help. <laughs> but then we don't just run away, but God helps us to work them out. Sometimes he does come and miraculously just solve issues for us, but most of the time what he does is he equips us and empowers us to walk through life with him. He steps right down into our reality. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in Jesus Christ, the reality of God entered into the reality of this world. The reality of God who God really is enters into the reality of our world. And not only that, but now all of our world is centered around this reality, that Jesus came for us, he died for us, that he rose again for us, that he's alive today. All of Christianity, all of belief revolves around that, around him, around Jesus. Think even of your calendar. 
The fact that we're in the year 2018. 2018 years, nobody knows exactly, but roughly at least from when Jesus was born. All of our world revolves around this, that Jesus came for us. That this eternally existing, universe-creating Son of God steps down into our reality. So Jesus steps down into our reality, but he steps down for a purpose. He comes to save us. It's not just like, this isn't just a noble act of God. It's not like just like the captain going down with a sinking ship. It's not like God just looks down and thinks, what a mess I've made. Well, you know, this ship is going down, so I'm in charge, so I better go down with it. You know, that's what the captain does on the ship. That's not what God's doing here. He's not just sent Jesus to sort of uh, just uh, hold our hands as we plunge under the waters. This isn't this kind of Titanic moment. Jesus actually, he comes to do something. He comes for a purpose. And that purpose is Jesus comes to save us. It says in Timothy that Jesus came to save sinners. <laughs> to come and reach down into not just the reality of the world around us, but to reach right down into your life, into all the good things and all the bad things you've done to save you. Every one of us here needs a savior. And that's why Jesus has come, to save us. See, because without the incarnation, without Jesus stepping down, the word becoming flesh, then obviously his death and resurrection would just be kind of hypothetical, just be this kind of abstract idea, this kind of nice, pleasant thought. And so much of the decisions that are made, so much of what people think around us is kind of a bit like that. It's ideologies and ideas and plans and dreams, books that people have written, whole philosophies that people have created. But the word of God it's not just something that God says, it's something that God does. That Jesus, the word, has stepped down into our reality, stepped down into our lives. There's something that he does. It takes, it's not just, it makes this abstract idea of salvation and he makes it real for all of us. Jesus Coming is not just this, it's not just a pleasant idea. It's not just a thing you can read in a book, set up a little nativity. It's something that's true for you, that can radically transform and change your life. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or you're not sure, or you're just wrestling with the whole idea, then this is, I'll admit, this is a big thing to wrestle with. You, are you telling me that, that there was this man walking around who, was, who also created the entire universe and then he stepped down and became a man? Well, that's a big thing to get your head around it. But when you do, you realize that it changes everything. Everything changes 
everything, all of your life, all of meaning and purpose and everything revolves around this, that Jesus came for you, that he died for you, that he came to restore a broken world. He saw, God looked down and saw the mess that he'd made and didn't just send Jesus to go down with a sinking ship, but saw the mess he made and said, I've got a plan, I've got a plan. I'm gonna come and redeem and restore and rebuild this broken world through this man, Jesus. It says in Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on human flesh, not so that he could just look like us, but so that he could radically save us. comes and penetrates our humanity to expose the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of this broken world and then to come and save us from it. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks' time. This light of the world that's come and this light shines in the darkness, shows us the darkness in our own hearts, saves us from it. And not only does he step down to save us, but we also find that he steps down to unite us to him. (laughs) Not only was Jesus kind of united to humanity by taking on flesh, but suddenly for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we're at the same time we're united with him, that we're brought up into, into God because humanity has spent thousands of years trying to find a way up to God. All the time trying to say, can we somehow transcend this horrible earth and find something, some sort of high purpose and being. And God steps down into our world so that we could be wonderfully united with him. That we could be called to know our Father, to have this perfect, wonderful relationship with God to be united in relationship, fellowship with him forever. And the wonderful thing, the closing thing I'll say is that this wonderful incarnation, it's, it's an act of wonderful grace. <laughs> That's the thing perhaps you need to know the most. It's not dependent on anything you've done that Jesus stepped down as an act of beautiful mercy and grace to save you. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to rescue yourself. In fact, if anything, the incarnation tells us that all of our attempts to reach up to God, all our attempts to sort of transcend reality and find him are all utterly useless and completely miss the point because he's come and he's stepped down into our world this wonderful ultimate act of grace that Jesus stepped down to become like us. And there's no more striving we have to do anymore to reach up to God because he's already stepped down. He's made his dwelling place, his temple, now amongst his people, within us, within you. 
And this, everything I'm saying this morning might confuse you, certainly confuses me, trying to get your head around, oh, God, man, how does this all work? But it's not here in John 1 to kind of show us this marvel of nature, to kind of confuse us and astound us. It's not here to kind of impress us or confuse us. But it's supposed to astound us about his wonderful love for us, but his grace for us, that God will go to such great lengths to save us. There's this beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians. It says this, For you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The incarnation, God stepping down, makes you rich beyond your wildest dreams. I'm not saying you're going to suddenly open up the app on your phone and find your bank has been credited with millions and millions of euros. It might have done. I think it's probably unlikely. But it makes you richer than you could ever imagine. Because the riches of heaven are now your inheritance. He stepped down and he took on the poverty of human flesh to give us all the riches of heaven by his grace. Okay. Why don't we stand to our feet? We'll take communion in a moment. Jesus, we... We just want to thank you, Jesus, that this wonderful, supreme, all-powerful creator, the one who in the beginning was with God, the one who was God, the one through whom all things were made, the one who is the exact representation, the exact imprint of God. You step down into our reality. You took on our poverty of human flesh, all the frailness and the weakness. You came to redeem it all, to save us, and to catch us up, to draw us up into you and your purposes and your plans so that we might know your riches. And over this Christmas season, so many pressures on us, so many things to do and things to make happen, people to see. But in all of it, we just want to keep coming back to the fact that you came for us. And we can now celebrate and declare and proclaim God with us. This Savior has come for us. Thank you, Jesus.